Good morning. Good morning, Mosaic. Uh, my name is Gabe Lang. It's great to worship with you today, together this morning. Uh, thank you for welcoming each other. Please remain standing as we read today's scripture. Uh, Luke 17, 11 through 19. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they were, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at, at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten, ten cleansed? Then uh, the other nine, where are the other nine? He has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner. Then he said to him, rise, go, your faith has made you well. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Hey, it is really good to be with you. My name is Tim. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, if you're not aware or don't remember or uh, have another excuse, that's fine. But last week was Resurrection Sunday, as as uh, as Connor just mentioned, and um, it was just a. If you were here, you experienced it, and it, it was great. If you're if you weren't here or missed it, or again, that was so long ago, you don't remember what it was like. Um, it just was a. It was a really meaningful Sunday for us as a church. I. Uh, um, one of the, as I went home that afternoon last Sunday, one of the takeaways I had was a conversation I had right before I left, and it was with a uh, person who has been here just a couple months, and this person said to me, I almost walked forward and jumped in the tank, but I, I want my family to be here with me, so when can I come and get baptized next? And so we're talking about a date to do that, but it, it was a reminder to me that God is at work in our midst, and as we heard stories, we baptized three people on Sunday, uh, and each of them have a significant story of how God has worked and is working in their life, uh, and it just so happens that two of those uh, three were high schoolers. Uh, and both, they connected to, uh, to our community in different ways, but both of them happen to be students at Grant High School, and most Mondays at lunchtime are getting uh, pizza at a highly discounted price uh, and hang out in this building with about 60-plus uh, students uh, every, every Monday. Uh, and I'm just so grateful for the, the ways that God is working in and through our, our church community. If, if I can, uh, I'd invite you to try to think back with me about 18 months ago. It was fall of 2021, and we uh, were walking through Scripture and, and seeing how it, guide, it was guiding us to, to what God was calling us to, to be a church that is that's focused on making disciples, a church that is focused on equipping ourselves so that we can we can feel confident and courageous that, that God is using us right where he's placed us, wherever that might be, in our homes as a stay-at-home mom, in a, in, a, in a job, in a business that we're the point person of and leading, in a, in a place of employment where we're just working amongst a lot of other people, whatever it might be, wherever God has us, that God is 
wanting to use us where he's placed us. And at the end of that, one of the things that we talked about was an effort that we felt like God was calling us to, uh, which was to take uh, an even greater little portion of our collective finances uh, and give towards some projects specifically focused on this space. Uh, and one of the things that you're looking at is, an, is part of that, that we got this really bright, fantastic, um, large, extra large living room TV in our, in our space here. And if you were around before then, you knew that uh, we had screens that were projected here and they were dying and glitching and our sound wasn't good and all those kinds of things. Another major effort was to redo a, a room in this building uh, that has, had not been touched in probably about 60 to 70 years. And that was our kitchen. And a number of you have served and helped make meals and prepare to serve other people through our kitchen. And you've come out of that experience just a bit traumatized for being in the room. That will not happen now. The kitchen looks amazing. Uh, Adam, who just stepped off our staff, has, has led the effort to that and he designed it. And so give him another hug if you see him after seeing the... the Um, but as Connor invited, invited you to pop downstairs into our lower level, if you've never been down there, uh, it's a place that over the years, uh, we're about to turn 20 years old as a church this fall. And so for almost two decades, we have seen uh, children discipled and pointed to Jesus and prayed with and worshiped together in those classrooms down there in that little tiny stage that's down there. Uh, and so we have used it and used it and used it. And it was time for an upgrade of that space down there. Uh, and so we're there. We kind of finished it and it's, it's ready to go. And so I invite you to step down there uh, just for a minute. Uh, whether you take a donut or not doesn't matter, but just see the space and appreciate it. A team went just did an amazing job of designing that, uh, and, and it looks, looks really, really good. And um, while we're using it this morning, uh, and there's kids' classrooms open down there, and some of you have your kids, and you drop down there, and you already saw it, uh, we, we actually saw it used Friday night uh, in, a, in kind of a different way. Uh, on Friday night here, right in this space, in this, in this room right here, uh, we hosted an event for about 100 uh, church planters and leaders and, and uh, couples that are interested in church multiplication in, in our region, in the Portland-Vancouver region. And we had about 20 kids downstairs and 70 or 80 uh, adults up here. Uh, and it was a part of a, a kind of a citywide effort called Multiply PDX um, that we've been involved in. And you might never have heard that name, and, and that's okay. What it is, it's an effort to network people and to, for folks that are coming and wanting to plant a church or multiply a home church or whatever it might be, uh, happened in this room and a couple of us got to be here and, and be a part of it, but we got to, to give our space to somebody else to use, and we saw a church planters of every different age range, background, color, language, gather together in this room. I met a, a pastor who, who lives just down the street here, but he is from Ethiopia and has planted an Ethiopian church that meets further out, out east. We've met pastors who have just landed in town or are feeling called to plant a church in our city and don't know hardly anyone else, and this was a connecting point for them. We got to tell stories of how God has used his church across our city in so many different ways. And um, so I got to kind of just sit in the background and watch it and just so grateful that, that we get to share our space and use it and steward it really well for what God's doing in our city. So those are some things that you might not know about or not ever see, but I just want to share uh, what we get to be a part of here uh, as the greater community of the church uh, throughout Portland. So thank you for giving. We're about uh, 
I think we're nine months from our, we set 2022 and 2023 would be kind of our now and next giving time. And so we're about nine months. We've got a ways to go still. Um, we've got the upgrades. We're still paying for them along the way as we go. Um, if you want to know more about now and next, there's a card over there. There's room on the website. I'd be glad to talk to you as well. But I just want to say thank you and celebrate where we've come so far in the past 18 months. It's, it's pretty exciting. It's pretty good. Um, last thing, uh, Connor mentioned uh, basics class. Um, I get to teach that. I'm doing it with a uh, leader in training. Many of you might know Nick Miner, um, but he and I are going to be teaching this. And so uh, we've been working on it. And what it is, is it's, as Connor said, it's kind of a how to put mosaic in the context of the wider story of what God is doing. It would be, it is really easy to talk about who we are as a church and our specific vision. And we will do that in the class. But we're a part of a much bigger story. And so you might have been around for a long time ago. I, I know the lay of the land. I know how to get down to the lower level. I know when there's coffee and when there's not. I know, I kind of know, I kind of get mosaic. This would be an opportunity just to come and go, where, how are we thinking about the future based on where we've come from and how we understand the story that God is telling through scripture? So it's four week cohort. Um, lunch is included. Um, I just wanted to say this, if you come and eat, you have to pay attention. We're just gonna make that agreement, okay? So don't come and eat and then doze off or get on your phone. Um, but it's gonna be a great class. It starts at noon today uh, in the lower level, which again, looks really, really good. Thank you for hearing all of that. I've accounted for that in the teaching time. I just wanna let you know that. So um, I do wanna say this. Uh, if, you, if you can, look at, uh, look at these first few verses of the book of Luke. Um, th they say this. <clears throat> Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Next slide. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. These are the first four verses of the book of Luke. If you can, um, James, if you can flip back to the title slide, <clears throat> just in case there's any confusion here. Um, we've said Luke Acts, which is our, you know, we had a whole creative team process of deciding what to label a teaching series through the book of Luke and Acts. And we, we came up with this, Luke, Luke Acts. And we've been in the book of Luke, and so we just want to, circle that so that you know that, that we've been in the book of Luke. We've been in the book of Luke. I've titled every talk that we've been given, whether it was me or somebody else on our team, uh, a number. And this is number 59. And it's been about 18 months. So we took breaks here and there, but we've been working through the book of Luke. And that's the, that's the purpose statement that we just read of why Luke wrote this book and then titled it after himself, Luke. But he wrote it to a guy, Theophilus, who was a follower of Jesus and come from a place of kind of skepticism and cynicism and had come to believe in Jesus. And then Luke was doing all this work and he went around and he talked to people who had been with Jesus and watched Jesus. And he, he got all this information and he said, I'm gonna write out this account of it and I'm gonna give it to you, Theophilus, because I know in the, in, in the circumstances in which you're living, you're struggling to hold on to Jesus. You're struggling to, to believe and to follow him. You're struggling to continue to say, I'm gonna say no to this kind of offer and life and yes to Jesus. And so he writes this book of Luke and he, and he gives it to his friend. And isn't it great that many of us are in that very same place and we have a book that somebody took care and time to write? 
to when it's difficult and challenging and we have questions. We go, who is Jesus and what are we doing? We said 18 months ago when we started this long journey through the book of Luke, we said, um, there's a lot of questions right now about what the church is for, who the church is to be. The church, just by general reputation, is, is dropping in the polls. It's not rising in the polls. In our nation and in our city, there's, there's not more excitement for the church in society at large, not inside our community, but in the society at large, that there's more distrust and disappointment, disillusionment. And so we really want to talk about what's, what's the church, what's the church, what's the church. And, and I felt that pull, and I actually wanted to open up and get right to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that talks about, hey, you're going to be my witnesses in the world because you've been empowered by the Holy Spirit. And just sense that God was saying, well, that's really important and that's really good and maybe inspiring and focus you and send you in a direction. But let's back up and actually spend some time just walking through a book that week after week is reintroducing us to Jesus and make sure we really know Jesus well and who he is and what he taught and how he lived and what he did. And then we'll get to the church. There's plenty of, of debate and discussion and vision and excitement and differing views about the church and what is the church to be and how is the church to function in our world today. But if, we, if we're not clear on Jesus, and not even just being clear, if we don't actually know that we're loved by Jesus and are glad to return his love with our love, then how we think about the church doesn't really matter. So I just want you to know, it's been a long time in Luke. I believe it's been valuable and helpful and foundational. And we're a little ways away from getting to Acts. We're gonna launch in the fall by starting the book of Acts. And so we're gonna spend a little bit of time finishing up Luke. We'll do something a little different in the summer and then we'll be into Acts. It's really important that we walk through the whole book of Luke because it's, it's the first half of a, of a two book pair that Luke writes, Jesus and then the church is in Acts. So that's where we are. We're, uh, I'm gonna invite you to pray with me. And then uh, I wanna walk through these, these, this st short story. It's nine verses that Gabe read for us. Um, and it's, it's pretty important for us to hear this today as well. So would you pray with me? God, you are with us here. You're with us at every moment, wherever we go, wherever we are, however we are. And yet when your people gathers to, to lift up your name and to sing to you and to say things that are true of you so that we can be reminded of them, we can be formed by them, we can celebrate. God, you are here with us. And so we declare that you are good and powerful and loving and full of mercy and compassion. And we not only want to declare those things, but we want to we want to sense, experience, and feel those things as real in our own lives as well. Holy Spirit, we know that you are in this room right now, and for many of us, we know that you are in us, that you reside within us, and so we are different people because of that. And we know and, and ask that you are active right now, and so would we be responsive to what you're doing right in this moment? And Jesus, Jesus, you are alive. As we said last week, you are risen. You conquered death and rose again. You, you lived for some 33 years here on this earth. Your feet touched this dirt and planet and you walked among us and you gave your life and you suffered what no other belief system, God, deity has ever done that you 
were real and you were here and you gave your life, conquered death and rose again and you invite us to know you and walk with you and live with you in this life here and now. Would you give us further vision and clarity on how to do that today as we look at this story? Would you teach us now? It's in your name that we pray, amen. Luke chapter uh, 17, verse 11 is where we're gonna pick up. And this is a, it's a, it's a short little um, encounter that Jesus has. It's just nine verses. And uh, it's, it, it takes, what happens here is it, it takes two things that we don't necessarily think are, are, are going together and it, and it, it holds them together. It, it, it holds two things that we wouldn't necessarily put together and it holds them in intention. A, a number of years ago, just a few, like, I don't know, three, four years ago, uh, a friend said, oh, I just went to this great new restaurant up on Mississippi. Um, you got to go. And um, I said, oh, great. What kind of food it is? He goes, I, don't, I don't know. It's just really good. And he goes, wait, 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 let me look it up. He looked it up. He goes, oh, yeah, that's right. I remember. It's a, it's a fusion place. Like, oh, okay. Like, I think Taco Bell is fusion at this point. Like, I think everything is fusion. But he goes, it's a fusion place. So what does that mean? He goes, well, it says here it's a, it's a blend of, of, of barbecue and Thai. I'd never heard those two things put together before. And I said, that can't possibly be right. Let me see your phone. And I read it and it was barbecue and thought like Texas barbecue and, and Thai food. And I was like, yeah, those don't, those don't, you got to keep those separate. Like, and even if they're on your plate, you got to keep them separate on your plate, but to put them in the same, you know, and then, and then I went and it, it cost way too much and tastes way too good, but it works together. It's good. This is a story, an encounter that Jesus is taking two things and he's, he's holding them together in tension with us. And, and what these two things are is, is something cosmic and something personal. It, it's a cosmic reality and truth that we may or may not be aware of. And it's a, it's a personal experience or reality that hopefully we're aware of. It's a, it's, it's, a, it's a cosmic reality that is addressing a battle that is going on, that was going on then 2,000 years ago, Jesus, and is going on today. And then it's a, it's a personal, intimate invitation that hopefully we've heard before, but if you haven't, you'll hear it today. So it's something cosmic and it's something personal. Cosmic battle and a personal, intimate invitation. And it starts this way. Verse 11 says this. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have pity on us. Um, let's, let's start personal first. Um, leprosy is no fun. I think you know that. Um, if you don't know exactly what leprosy is, because we don't deal with it in a, in a regular way in, in, our, in our culture, it's still present in different ways, um, tucked away across the planet, but, 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 but for us, it's not, it's not a common thing. It's a skin disease that deadens the nerves, and then you lose, you, you literally, your body is dying as it's still attached to you, and it's, it's ugly. And in that culture at that time, um, and for a long time, for generations, um, if, if anyone had, had leprosy, um, the whole village would know eventually pretty quickly and they would take that person and put them outside the village. And so what happened was, was these leper colonies were formed, um, but they were ostracized and separated and there was virtually no connection. There certainly wasn't any physical touch. If there was any conversation, it was yelling because you had to stay at a distance. And you, your, your new family was those other people that had leprosy, and so you were ostracized, separated to, to be with them. It really, really was like 
you're still technically alive, but your life is dead. Like it's, it's done. What you knew before is done and ended and you're in this, this community. And in scripture and particularly in Leviticus, there's actual like, like detailed rules for how to interact with somebody with, with leprosy and what a leper was to do and how the, it, it just, it was, it was tragic. And so these, these men are in a leper colony and, and their personal experience is, is horrendous. And, and they gather together. It says there's 10 of them. I don't know if that's the whole colony. We don't know that. But 10 of them get together and they know Jesus is coming. And how they, they know that, don't totally know. But Jesus is, is coming and they cry out to him, Master, have, have pity on us. And, and we read pity and we go, I don't ever want to ask for pity. Um, so let's just make sure we understand what they're asking for. They're actually asking for compassion. It shows up as pity in our English Bibles, but it has the same idea, the meaning of mercy and compassion of Jesus. Do something for us that we can't do. Acknowledge our suffering and step towards us, if not in distance, because you can't, but you, you can do something for us. You can heal us. And so their personal experience was this, this tragic one of, of having leprosy and ostracized and their life was over. And they cry out to Jesus from a distance because they can't get close to him. Hey, master, Jesus, have pity on us heal us. That's the personal experience right off the bat. The story starts with saying that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And if you've been around for a while, as we've been moving through the book of Luke, this keeps coming up. It ke- Jesus keeps saying this in some way or another. I'm headed to Jerusalem, I'm headed to Jerusalem, I'm headed to Jerusalem. And we celebrated last week from Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday, from Palm Sunday through Holy Week and Resurrection Sunday, that was, that was the historical story of him going to Jerusalem, of going into Jerusalem being celebrated as a king on, on uh, the beginning of the week on Sunday and then on uh, being betrayed on Thursday and beaten on Thursday night and into Friday morning in a mock trial and then crucified sometime Friday and buried Friday afternoon and rise again. That that was him going to Jerusalem. And so this is again is saying, I'm going to Jerusalem. My, my trajectory, my plan which is God's plan. I'm doing what the Father tells me to do. I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm going to suffer and die. That's what, that's what Luke is telling us here. This, this purpose, the plan that Jesus has that nobody, even his closest friends, weren't quite understanding. And he says, I'm going there. But then it says he's walking on the border between Samaria and Galilee. And Galilee would have been kind of Jesus's hood. It would have been his neighborhood and his friends and the, the people that he grew up in. And he knew that it would have been 100% Jewish. And then there's a borderline and then comes Samaria. And if you can picture the land of Israel, Galilee is on the northern part. In the middle is Samaria and in the lower part uh, is, the, is the rest of Israel, uh, of Judea. Judea is on the, on the lower half. And in Samaria is this not purely Jewish population. When the kingdom was divided, if you want to get into biblical history, and, and there was two, two kingdoms instead of one kingdom of Israel, the, the kingdom that is now known as Samaria at that point intermingled and intermarried with Assyrians when they came and conquered them. And so they were mixed race. And so the Jews in Galilee and in Judea did not like, respect, or treat well the Samaritans that were a different ethnicity over generations. And when it says that Jesus is walking along the borderlands, let's picture him on the border with one foot in Galilee and one foot in Samaria. And Jesus symbolically is straddling this this physical line in the sand that is like a blinking light that humanity 
is not well, that there is something broken in the world. And here it's evidenced by two pieces of land and two different, different ethnicities that were all convoluted and competing and hating one another. And Jesus is walking. Isn't it interesting that the savior of the world was trying to point out, you guys don't get along, but there's something that you can be united about. There's a power that can actually unite you and heal all that that's broken. And so on a cosmic global level, Jesus is pointing out there's something broken. And these are the, the evidence, the ramifications of sin in the world. And he's walking along this borderline as you can picture his disciples going with him. Here's what happens next, verse 14. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Jesus simply says, go show yourselves to the priest. He's following Levitical code, which is if somebody has leprosy and in the rare case that it would actually be healed or go away, or in the even rarer case that God's son, Jesus Christ would show up and heal them. The process was you have to go get checked out by the, the, the norms of society and the norms of society have to check you out. And today we would go to a, um, uh, to a doctor or we get cleared by something or if we got a new job and we have to go get some kind of uh, um, shot or vaccination or process or said, okay, they, they check out, you can do this job. That, we've got our systems in place. The priest did all that then. And so they had to go to the temple, the synagogue, and they had to get checked out by a priest and a priest would look at them and go, okay, you're, you're clean. It was, a, it was a religious and medical ritual process that they had to go through. And so Jesus says, he doesn't say you're healed. He says, go to the priest, which is kind of fascinating. So if you've been a leper for any amount of time and you've gotten used to leopard life and, and you're just kind of going through the motions and all of a sudden Jesus is coming by and you're here, Jesus, we've heard, is actually merciful. Let's go holler at him and see if he'll do something for us. And so they do. And he says, go to the priest. Now, if I was one of those lepers and I was hollering at Jesus across like a road or something, hey, will you have mercy on me? Have pity on me because my hands are dying and I've missed this, these fingers and I can't feel my toes and my nose is dark because it's dead and I have to be wrapped up so people won't see me and I haven't talked to my family in years and will you have pity on me? And he says, go to the priests and present yourselves as if you're clean. The first thing I would do is look at my hands. Are they, are they healed? Did my fingers grow back? I would look to a buddy and go, hey, look at my nose. Is it, is it clean? Is it back? Because Jesus doesn't heal them immediately. It says as they go, they're, they're cleansed. So they actually had to take a step of faith, all 10 of them. Now, this is a step of faith that, that you would want. I would look at my hands and go, ah, he didn't heal me on the spot, but he told me to go to the priest. I really want this to be true. I really want this to happen. So I'm going to actually start going to the priest and I hope my fingers get healed. I hope my nose gets healed. I hope I can feel my toes again. And so they take a step of faith without actually being healed yet. And the text tells us that as they go, as they live out their faith, they are healed. What a great picture for us that we ask God to do something. And then do we actually have the faith to listen to his voice, to step out and go, okay, it's not done yet, but may it be done as I go, as I move forward. And it says that they went to the priest and the priest declared them clean. And we, they, they go back into, that they are clean and, and they get to go back to their lives, that they really are resurrected. But look what happens 
next. Verse 15, one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus has been straddling this physical representation of broken humanity, Galilee and Samaria, two different ethnicities that don't get along. And what he does is he, he heals lepers. And in so doing, he's declaring what is broken, I have power over. Jesus is saying, I, I am more powerful than the divides that keep these two ethnicities at odds. I am more powerful than the disease that ravages your body and destroys life as you knew it. I'm more powerful than that. And so this, this battle that is going on in the cosmos, this battle that is going on in humanity, this battle between God and Satan, good and evil, Jesus says, I can do something about that. I can step in. And he heals them. And then the response of one, not 10, but one, is to come back and to praise Jesus. And then it adds on there that it's the Samaritan. It's not the one that, that Luke would have expected. It's not the one that Jesus' disciples would have expected. It's not the ones that were with him would have expected. They would have expected, maybe they even would have recognized him or known them. Oh, I remember going to high school with him and now he's got leprosy, that's so tragic. But the one that comes back is the Samaritan, the one they wouldn't have talked to and wouldn't have acknowledged and probably were even questioning if Jesus should even heal him because he's not one of them. And Jesus demonstrates his power and heals the Samaritan and along with the others. And the Samaritan's the one that comes back. One of the lessons is that, that who responds to Jesus isn't always the one that we expect to respond. The one that, res the one that responds to God's movement in their life, the prompting of the Holy Spirit, the one that responds to to days and weeks and months and years and maybe even decades of prayers that would God, would you do something in their life? The one that we've maybe even just slid into default and assumed God's not gonna do anything in their life is the one that responds at times. Some of you know what, what these are. This is, a, this is a white tag and you maybe can't tell, but this is a gray tag. If you, uh, spent any time in the 24-7 prayer room during Holy Week, there's a, a, a screen, a little wall in one corner, and there's a basket next to it, and it's full of white and gray cards. And there's a, a little instruction card that says, write down names of people that you know who need healing on a gray card. Now, I'm, I'm just gonna go ahead and, and guess there's not a single leper that we wrote down. Nobody knows anybody with leprosy, but we know all kinds of physical ailments, mental ailments, struggles that people have written down. The white card is for people that don't know Jesus and aren't following Jesus. <clears throat> and uh, over the course of the week, we spent time in that room and many of you took an hour or more in that room and you wrote down names and, and hung them up. And some were kind of code, so nobody could know the name. Others were just a single first name. Other cards were filled with first and last name, multiple names on single cards. 
I spent a couple hours in, the, in that room during Holy Week. And one, one hour I was in there, I just went over to that, that wall and, and just spent time. And I, I just read names because I had added my names to it. The people in my life that I'm praying for that I know don't know Jesus or aren't following Jesus. And I wrote, wrote their names down and added them to the wall and just read. And it's one thing looking at, at names of people and individuals. But what God led me to reflect on in that moment was all of the people that are praying for all of those people. All of the people within our church who know and love people who don't know Jesus. And that we're praying for people who don't know Jesus. And I just began to weep. We have a church that deeply cares about people who don't know Jesus. To the point that we're willing to write their first and last name down. To the point that we're willing to write code so nobody knows them. And that we pray for them. And some we've been praying for for just a very short time was we just met them recently. And others we've been praying for day after day, after week, after month, and then we forget for a little while because it's been so long. And then we pick it back up and we start praying for them again. And maybe it's been years and maybe if it's even been a decade. And we pray for people who don't know Jesus. And we need to be reminded and we need to know that sometimes the ones that we do not think will respond to God will respond. We need to be reminded that there is a God that is working on a deeply intimate personal level to get our attention and to be with us and is working on a cosmic level that we can't even comprehend and that he is powerful enough to do something and to make a difference and to bring healing on a cosmic level, on a geographical level, on an ethnic level, on a physical level. And he's doing it and he does it over and over and over again. And I know you believe with me that there are names on that wall that will be healed and won't be sick anymore. And there's names on that wall that will come to know Jesus and be baptized, whether that's here or in another church or another river or another place in another state. But their lives will be radically and significantly transformed because they come to know Jesus and they respond to him. And so let's continue to pray. Let's continue to add names, trusting that the ones that we think won't respond are gonna be the ones that end up running to Jesus and in a loud voice, laying down in front of him and thanking him for his love and what he's done in his, their life. The next verse says this, Jesus asked, we're not all 10 cleansed. Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner, the one we didn't expect? Then Jesus said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. I, uh, the last word, word is well. And um, for whatever it's worth, I just want you to know um, that, that that word doesn't do what I want it to do. Here's, here's what I mean. As we read this story, this text of scripture, there's a, there's a movement and a repetition through just these few verses. And it starts with being cleansed. And we see that word first. And then we see a word healed. 
And then we see cleansed used again, and then it ends with well. And it ends with well with the one that came back and spent time with Jesus. And so here's what I wanted those words to do for us. I wanted well to mean that the one that came back to Jesus was healed at a deeper level because he came back and bowed down to Jesus and, and praised him. I mean, that, that seems like it'd be great. I mean, that will preach. If we go to Jesus, he heals us at a deeper level. The other ones were just physical. He healed their leprosy. And that's impressive and fantastic and points to that Jesus has cosmic power in the kingdom. But the one that spent time with Jesus, that guy was healed at a deeper level, at a spiritual level. But, but I need to tell you this, that all those words mean the same thing. That when Jesus said, go to the priest, and they were cleansed on the way to the priest, he's healing them at both a physical and a spiritual level because they had faith. That's what this text is telling us. But there's a distinction between one that comes back and hangs out with Jesus. Now, the other one, let's just say all nine of them were Jews and none of them came back, but they were healed both spiritually and physically. And so they, in some way, were stumbling and bumbling and learning to follow Jesus, even though they didn't totally know all of that. But they were healed. They were made well. The, the word is this deep, rich sense of being made whole to where in our humanity and our sin, we're divided and broken and we're put back together when we place our faith in Jesus. And it doesn't always feel like that immediately, but he says, I've got you. You're mine now, and so you're whole, and I'm gonna be making you whole over the rest of your life, but you're whole now. But the last one that comes back and says, I'm gonna be with Jesus, he's whole just like the other ones are, but he experiences something the others didn't, at least that day. And the way that he experienced it comes through gratitude that he actually comes back and expresses his thanks, his gratitude to Jesus. What this is showing us, what this is telling us, what this is inviting us to is on a personal level, on an intimate level, there is this invitation that Jesus heals us, not just for us to go through our day, but that he heals each and every one of us. He gives us salvation. He gives us a future and a hope. He gives us the Holy Spirit in our life. He gives us clarity of what is going on in our own brokenness, in the brokenness of the world, and, and what is the future, and what does it mean that he's bringing more of his kingdom to this, that he tells us that he is at work in this world. He, do, he does all of that. But he wants to be with us. That he wants us to actually come and kneel with him, and cling to him, and talk to him. That Jesus has healed us, not just for us to go on our way, but to come and to be with him. That is the invitation. The God of all of the cosmos, is the God that cares to spend time with you and I. There is this relational element, this invitation to intimacy that Jesus heals us for. The way that we're made, uh, we know this now, they wouldn't have known it exactly then, but we know now we have studies that prove it and we've got great psychologists and biologists and physiologists that can tell us this, but when we express thanks to someone, there's this thing that happens in our brains. It's literal, it's, it's physiological, that it opens up something called mental receptors and it bonds us to the one that we're expressing thanks to. Isn't it fascinating that over and over throughout scripture, praise God, praise God, give thanks, praise God, over and over and over again. It's not this thing of, hey, do we list out all the things that we're thankful to God for? Yes, but he doesn't need to hear all those. 
He's inviting us to actually be more connected to him. When we express our gratitude to God, he connects with us in a new way. It's just how we're created. And if you look through all of the things in scripture and make a list, which I do, but I'm out of time, so I can't read it. And I didn't do all of them. I just did a skimming of them and the list. And as I wrote them all down, I wrote 17 down in the verses that corresponded with them. Not a single one of them was for a physical thing. Physical circumstance, deliverance from oppressors, but not a physical thing. There wasn't, I thought for sure in here, I would find give thanks to God for your Nissan pickup. That is one of the things that I've told you that before. I've shared, I have a pickup truck. I've had two people ask me since I've shared that. It's great, I share it. It's, it, it's, a, it's easy for me to get, us, get outside in the morning and go, God, thank you that I have a car to drive in the morning. That is completely different than saying, God, you've provided that. Thank you for all of the ways that you've provided for me. Your character is good and generous. And I remember that today as I'm privileged to sit in a car and drive myself to work. And it connects me to him and it reorients me to him. There is this personal, intimate invitation to come and to be with Jesus. That's what Jesus is inviting us for. That is one of the reasons that he saves us. One of the ways that we do this over and over and over again is by coming to this table. That we come and we say, Jesus, thank you for what you have done for me. It's not stuff, it's not just physical provision. It's you gave yourself for me. And so when we sing thong, songs of gratitude and thankfulness, it helps connect us, it helps reorient us, it helps tell us what is true in this world. When we come to this table and we take the juice that represents his bloodshed and the little cracker, his body broken, we're reminded that Jesus gave himself for us. We're invited to do that now. And as we do this, and as we hear from his word, and as we read his word, we're formed by it. And as we sing to him and take his meal, his body and blood, it reshapes our minds, connects us to him. But the God of all of the universe, of all of the cosmos, the most powerful one is also the one that wants to be with me and with you. Jesus, as we sing today, as we come to this table, would you help us to hold those two things in tension together? That you are bigger than we could even fathom or imagine. And yet, you desire that we come on our knees and be with you, look at you, listen to you, talk to you, hear from you. That you, the God of all the universe, is our Savior and is our King, our friend and our shepherd. Would we walk with you this week? Would we know you this week? Would we hear from you this week? Amen.